and welcome to another episode of the Talking Heads podcast with me, Saul Walker. And me, Lucy Chamberlain. With winter's arrival and dark evenings in good supply, this is the perfect time to gain your favourite gardening podcast fix. To help you through the spring, Saul and myself will keep you entertained and informed with podcasts on wide-ranging topics such as winter pruning, propagation and planting. Plus, we'll provide regular updates on important industry developments, along with lively discussions on all manner of horticultural topics. We'll aim to bring you two short 20-minute episodes a week, along with a longer bonus interview with a key green-fingered peer every month. As ever, if you have suggestions for episodes that you'd like to hear, please just tap us up on our respective Twitter accounts at Gardening Saul and at Head Gardener LC. We'd be delighted if you'd join us on this journey as we step inside the busy and exciting world of the modern Head Gardener. Well, Lucy, it's only a couple of days till the big day, so I'm going to wish you a very, very Merry Christmas oh, on the podcast. Thank you, Saul. Tonight. Very Merry Christmas to you too. Season's greetings. So let's hope everyone out there is having a a, a decent one, as, as decent as they as they can. Yeah, really, really hope that if your plans have changed or things are going a bit sideways, just think it's Christmas, it's a day. Phone up your loved ones, yep. get them on Zoom. Exactly. Just connect, just connect with people. You know, things may not have worked out this year for the best, but we can still enjoy one day where it's all peaceful and harmony. I guess. <laughs> I sound like that's the ideal Christmas. There's probably many families who are like, yes, <laughs> we're on our own. <laughs> I'm not going to comment at all. <laughs> anyway, we should say that this is going to be the last podcast before Christmas and there won't be a second one this week. No. Um, for obvious reasons. Um, but we will be putting one out between Christmas and the New Year. So that'll be... We'll have one more podcast in 2020. Um, and then, yeah, and then we hit the New Year. And hopefully the big grey cloud lifts. Although, well, I think I'm being a bit optimistic. But anyway, let's not think about this Christmas. I, I've seen many memes and things on Twitter of people saying there's only 370 days to sleep Till next Christmas. <laughs> so everyone's focusing on next Christmas. And I think that's what we want to have a, a little think about tonight because Lucy would, I know every year that you like to grow all your veg. I do. At home yep. for Christmas Day. For Christmas Day. And you're going to tell us how you do it. When you told me uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk about growing veg for Christmas, I did think, well, there's only two or three days till Christmas. Some micro leaves. I, I know how much people think you're this impressive vegetable grower, but that's quite a tall order even for you, hey? Quite a challenge. Yes. Yeah, no, what I, what I was wanting to do, because there's got to be a word for it. I don't like the word smug. We're not smug. I think this, what is that word when you do grow your own food? And you, you're sitting down with your family and you cooked it into something nice. You've added a few herbs and something fancy and, and you feel quite chuffed with yourself. It's a warm glow. It a is, warm isn't it? glow of satisfaction. We've got to a word for it because it's just flipping lovely. Um, but that is what I would like everybody to attempt to do for, say, the, the, the Christmas of 2021. Um, and there may be many, many of you out there who are going to be sitting down to 
This year, homegrown parsnips, Brussels sprouts, carrots, kale, roasty spuds, all that kind of stuff. Oh. So I, I thought it might be quite nice just to go through the, the significant traditional Christmas veg and explain, if you want to grow them, how exactly to do it, the, the sowing times, how to be treated, all that kind of stuff. And to, and to be honest, although this may seem a bit irrelevant now Christmas is a couple of days away, actually, a lot of us are going to be putting our seed lists mm-hmm. and putting our seed orders in soon. So actually, this is more timely than many of you might be giving it credit. This is it. This is it. I'm making my seed orders pretty much as we speak. I've, I've been pouring over seed catalogues the last couple of weeks. So, so yeah, get your pen and paper ready. Get some notes done. Get yourself a, a lovely seed collection ready for the the growing season for 2021 which crop shall i start off with Saul? spuds it's got to be spuds (laughs) isn't it everyone even now i will explain that although lucy has a very traditional christmas dinner me and my partner nick have not had a traditional christmas dinner for about 12 years (laughs) i won't explain why it's a very long story but i'm having to remember exactly what goes into a traditional christmas but the one thing i know that we even we eat is some sort of potato roast, dish. Roast potatoes. So, roasties mostly. We, we, we like to play around with the spuds. But anyway, <laughs> explain what spuds you grow and how you grow them for Christmas. Because uh, they're slightly different than, uh, say, our main crops and our, our earlies and second earlies, isn't it? If you want to grow them for Christmas. Yeah, I mean, you're pertaining there to, I guess, the, the new potatoes that you can grow for Christmas harvest, which are actually planted mm. in middle of July August. They're called second cropping potatoes. And they're quite a lot of the the salad potatoes. Charlotte's the classic one, but there's there's various other ones out there as well. So yeah, I mean, I will will also talk about roast potatoes because they're my favourite. But these second cropping potatoes actually can be planted in July, August. And then they are best planted in containers because in August, most potato and tomato growers know that the um, the infamous late blight is quite prevalent and it will strike down your, your crop given half a chance, which would be if it's nice and warm and wet. So you could plant these second cropping tubers in bags because the beauty of that is then you can have them outside, you can put them somewhere sunny, but if the, the weather turns too warm and too wet, then you can move them undercover temporarily to keep them dry. And then the spores don't germinate. So, so that's something that you can do with your second cropping spuds. But can I also mention my flowery roasties? Because I do love <laughs> Maris. You like to mention your you like to mention your flowery, <laughs> roasties, flowery roasties regularly. I do. I know any occasion that I can. So for me, good old Maris Piper, we grow grow that at the hall and at home. It's a very good all-purpose spud for me. As long as you grow any flowery spud then you're fine because you want it to fluff up when you're cooking. So the the secret, and I learned this off my mother who'd learned it off Delia Smith, you cook your potatoes for eight, nine minutes in boiling water. In the same time, you've put in your oven some really very hot fat. I don't use goose fat, but I think a lot of people do for their roasties, don't they? And then get the potatoes out, drain them, and you then tip them into the tray full of hot fat. And then you tip the potatoes and the hot fat into a saucepan put the lid on, give it a really good shake. Now the flowery spuds will rough up and that's what gets you the crispy, crunchy, beautiful part of your roast potato. Then you tip it all back in the pan. You, I add um, salt and pepper and also a little bit of mixed herbs so if I'm feeling a bit fancy. And that makes a beautiful, lovely, crunchy roast potato. 
Are these potatoes you've grown as main crops during the year and then stored? Yes. Or are you growing them a bit later? No, no. These are ones that have been planted, uh, as with any other main crop, I plant them in March and then I'd lift them in August, September. They've been stored in paper bags in our shed and then you just peel them, boil them, fluff them up with a bit of hot oil, bang them in the oven for about 40 minutes, job done. Delicious. There are there are some main crops that uh, and first alleys that you can actually leave in the ground as well. I've grown Pentland Javelin before and I've actually left them in the ground all winter and actually dug them up in March. But uh, So you can actually leave them in and actually dig them up for Christmas Day and have really fresh potatoes. Um, anyway, let's move on to another uh, vegetable, shall we? Yeah, what about, can I go for parsnips, which is my classic comp- partner for my roasties? I was thinking parsnips because, um, yeah, those are, those, those are a long crop, aren't they? They take a, a, long, a long season to develop. It depends how large you want your parsnips. So you could, if you wanted to, sow them in March, April, if you're in a mild part of the world. And they'll get massive, especially if you're on an open, lovely, sandy soil like I am in Essex. Um, we've got lovely light sand. If you've got a nice peaty organic soil like they do up in the in the board, then again, you get some fantastic parsnips. Don't like stones. So um, what you can do is when you sow your parsnip seed, and it's best sown direct into the ground rather than in, say, modules or seed trays because of the tap roots. So you, you actually, if you've got a stony soil, you can get a, a big metal rod and you can make a deep hole in the ground, about six, seven, eight inches deep. Fill that with compost and then sow your parsnip seeds on top. So when they germinate, they then go into this lovely, lovely compost rather than your stony soil. So that means that the taproot doesn't get damaged, doesn't get bent, doesn't get crooked, doesn't get forked. So that's what you can do with your parsnips. Now, I mentioned the size of them. I actually like my parsnips quite small so i would be sowing mine no earlier than diddly parsnips then, then yeah i sow mine in maybe late may early june and what that also does if it lessens the risk of getting canker parsnips are quite prone to canker and they often will get that if the if the conditions are cold and claggy which it can be in the spring so if you sow them a little bit later it bypasses that you can get canker resistant parsnips like avon resistor there's many many ones out there i grow gladiator which is a very lovely parsnip yeah i've grown gladiator it's a super one. There's there's loads out there. The main, main thing with parsnip, sow fresh seed. Don't be buying seed and storing it up because parsnip's need is no, notoriously low in its viability. If you can sow it fresh every year, buy it fresh every year, uh, you'll get much better emergence. It's very slow to germinate and very slow to emerge. So you've got to be patient and keep the drills nice and moist until you see the, the seedlings uh, emerge. Another little tip is to sow them in clusters. Sow maybe three or four seeds together. Because that way, then, if the germination is a bit fickle, you're guaranteed that at least one or two of them will germinate. And then you can thin those out once they've germinated to one one strong seedling. Lovely. And everyone loves a really good parsnip for Christmas. So now what about what about the Brussels sprouts, the, the, the loathed oh, sprouts? Oh, what? You Although can't say I'm it like that. I'm a particular fan. No, with you, I'm a particular <laughs> fan. And we've already mentioned Brussels sprout tops, which I know is one of your secrets. I love a good Brussels sprout top. But what about Brussels? Well, Brussels are, again, quite a long season crop. So you need to be sowing those in April 
um, I do. I know a lot of people sow them late, and it's they're not going to bulk up in time. You really need to sow them April, not even going into May. March, April is the best time to sow your Brussels sprouts. You can get vigorous hybrids. We grow Trafalgar, Nelson. Um, if you want to, I've been asked at the hall to grow Brussels sprouts that mature in September. I do like mine more around Christmas time. I sow mine into modules under cover. They germinate very readily, and you can just sow one seed per cell, and they will emerge you can then transplant them out into their final spacings in june or maybe early july that's when you're planting them out and you want to plant them at really quite wide spacings the brussels sprouts because they're big plants they get a sizable root system and that does determine the size of the buttons and the the overall sort of like vigor of the plant so plant them at least foot and a half apart if not more on lighter soils and then keep them well watered you've got to protect them against sadly the infamous cabbage white butterfly and also pigeons but it's easy to do that these days but just by caging over the plants with some butterfly netting so not the pea netting which the diameter of the mesh is about a centimeter butterfly netting has a diameter of about five mil square so very small so it means that the, the butterflies can't get through and just as a, a very quick thing to say if the butterflies land on the netting and they can then land on the leaf and lay their eggs through that netting then your netting isn't working so you've got to make sure that your brassica leaves don't touch the netting itself. Also uh, a classic for me as a lovely Christmas vegetable would be carrots. I absolutely love carrots in my um, Christmas medley. I've got lately to the point where I quite like smashing them up, which is not the same as mashing them. It's, <laughs> Saul's frowning, it's like, no, smashing up carrots means you get loads of butter, loads of coarse black pepper and some salt and you you get a potato masher and you just mush them up and they're quite you still have quite coarse chunky bits to them but they oh they taste delicious so so carrots for christmas you can sow those anytime in july or august i say that because you're sowing that a little bit later and these carrots then will, will germinate readily by the autumn you then thin them out to one every two centimeters or so all the time you're growing them you want to make sure that they're growing under insect proof mesh because that is a notorious pest that can be very problematic and can ruin a crop so so do ensure that from sowing right through to harvest that they're grown under this mesh so if you sow in july or august i use a variety called eskimo which is very winter hardy so these ones sown in july or august will sit right through if you let them until march or april so for me it's a fantastic sowing to make of carrots it's one sowing in the summer and then you can be pulling the carrots anytime from late September, October, right through until March. Uh, you can, if you want to, cut all the foliage off in November and put some straw over the top. If you're in a very exposed, cold part of the world, which where the ground is going to freeze solid, you might want to do that so that come Christmas Day, you're not digging up carrots from a, a frozen soil. Yeah, so if you want to grow carrots for Christmas Day, that's the way I'd recommend doing it. Lovely. And what about cabbage? Now, I know cabbages are an, an interesting crop because... It's one of the few crops that are around in winter, so you're not going out of your way to grow them a bit later than they would in their season. And I know that people have love-hate relationships with cabbage, a bit like Brussels sprouts, and they are very similar, similar family, aren't they, in, in some ways. But I absolutely love a Christmas cabbage, or, or even uh, like a hispy cabbage. Um, I cook it with butter and bacon. Oh, nice. That's how I love doing. I, I like hispy. I, I do like hispy. For, for, for me... I'll be growing savoys for my Christmas Day meal. 
I do love a lovely, blistered, bumpy Savoy carriage. Shredded, fairly simply cooked. And, uh, oh, the texture of it, the taste. You get the little thick bits of stem in there as well. So you've got some interesting texture going on. I do love a Savoy. The, I'm trying to think of the variety of the name. I think it's Tundra. Which obviously means it has quite good cold resistance. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's very similar to the Brussels sprouts. You All my winter brassicas, I will be sowing them in uh, March or April into modules. And then we transplant them out in June, maybe going into early July. We plant them out under, as I was describing, the, the butterfly netting, which has got that very fine mesh size of, of about five mil. And again, with the cabbages, even more than the Brussels sprouts, just make sure that the leaves of the cabbage plants don't touch the sides of the netting. And the cabbages, again, you can be harvesting them anytime from October, November. Obviously, the heads will get bigger as you go through the winter. Uh, and then they will bolt in, in March, April. All uh, cabbages are biennial and they will throw up a flower spike and as soon as the day length lengthens and the the spring temperatures start to rise so don't be tempted to sit on your cabbages do make sure if you're growing these winter ones that you actually get through the harvest by the time we get to march it's the same with leeks we should probably talk do you like a, a leek leeks with cheese I sauce grow le- do you know leeks is my bomb proof veg at stonelands I've never grown a bad crop of leeks. They're so easy and they'll go all the way through the winter, especially if you get some of the really good winter varieties and they'll go all the way into the spring and you could be having leeks. And, and, and if you successionally so, you can have leeks almost all year round if, if you plan it correctly. And they are delicious. They're so, they're so easy to cook. Bit of butter, cook your leeks off. Delicious. So when do you sow yours at Stonelands? So I stone mine uh, sort of spring and then I'll do... Um, month apart and another and another sowing and and they do take a bit of time uh, leeks have their two distinct growing periods and, and depending on how you grow your leeks because it used to be that you would put them in a seed bed and then you'd grow your leeks in a row and then you would dig them all up when they're just sort of pencil shaped and then you would transfer them into the bed for growing on um i do it actually out of um just a seed tray it, they work really well, just as well as in a seedbed. And I just wait till they're, you know, up to about a pencil thickness and then I'll transfer them into the beds themselves. So, um, mm. yeah, they're quite, it's, an e- it's a quite an easy crop, I think, to do. There's not much that can go wrong with well, leeks. Do you, I was going to ask, do you get leek moth? Because we have started getting no, that. No, I don't. We have just started in the last year. We, I noticed a tiny bit of damage last year. Because I remember Matt Oliver saying that he doesn't grow leeks at High Tall now because if the leek moth problem and i was like oh it's an essex it's an essex thing yeah but it took a while to get to us at, at uh, a finger right. but now i have noticed a mild amount of damage which i can i can cut it out and it's it's to me it's tolerable but i do think that maybe next year and i did do this at the hall as a precaution because i thought well i don't mind my leeks being damaged but i don't want the hall ones being damaged at all so i grew them under a cage of insect proof mesh which obviously is the simple easy organic way of of getting rid of the of the the leek moth problem it's interesting isn't it these pests that are causing havoc in some parts of the country but in others mm. they're absolutely fine it's like when i go to the mr fothergill's press day and that's held up um just north of stow market and i look in their fields and they've got all these carrots completely uncovered they're not needing con- to control them the carrot roof line they don't get it and i'm just so green with envy because if i did that with my carrots they would they would be completely riddled with root flies. So it just goes to show it's about you know it's not all about what you read in the books. It's about your locality. Do check what pests are a problem in your local area. So one thing that I would love to talk about, and I bet I bet you, being a bit of a foodie, Mister Walker, I think you would like this crop. And you probably grow that stone celeriac. 
I fail on celeriac every year. They never get up to a size with me. Uh, I've tried everything. I've put them in a colder, shadier position because I know they like to be a little less, they're a little less heat tolerant. I've tried all kinds of varieties. I can never get them beyond a tennis ball size to get the nice big fat roots. But having said that, I absolutely adore celeriac to eat. Yeah, I do. And I know they love it at the hall as well. For us, it is a challenge because Essex is notoriously dry and we're all also also on sandy soil. So I already knew I was up against it because as, as you say, celeriac loves continual moisture and that's the key to getting the decent size we call it a bulb but it's not a bulb it's a hypocotylus it's it's like a a swollen stem but that's the key to getting that decent sized harvest and also early sowing i one of the earliest crops that i sow apart from say chilies would be my celery and celeriac i will be sowing those definitely early february and i sow them into modules in the propagator, they take ages to germinate, so that's a, another reason to sow them early. And then they'll get planted out into the kitchen garden in around May time. They're quite slow to bulk up. And so I plant the celeriac out quite wide spacings, again, to compensate for the fact that we're on light sandy soil and growing in Essex. So they'll be planted out at least a foot and a quarter apart, something like that. Not quite a foot and a half, but definitely more than a foot. And I add them to the as you say, the shady side of the kitchen garden, so on the north the north beds, I've, I add lots of organic matter to those beds as well. And then it's a case of irrigating their socks off. <laughs> so I always ensure that that bed of celery and celeriac is fed with the overhead sprinkler uh, any time we get any sniff of, of dry weather in the kitchen garden. It's a bit of a shame because some years when we get the 30 degrees heat, they just don't like it. And even if you water like crazy, they right. won't be growing. So this year... They aren't the biggest. I've had last year, they were huge and I was really chuffed with them. But yeah, that's, that's the, the secret for celeriac is sow them early, keep them well watered, put them somewhere that's not going to be baked by hot, dry sun and you should get decent sized harvest. Well, there you go. I think uh, if you're sitting down on Christmas day and you're having a traditional spread of of a Christmas feast. Think about the vegetables and think about next Christmas and what you can grow. And I must say, we've said on the podcast before that the key to vegetable grow- gardening is a lot of people do it for the process of growing the vegetables. But actually, if you're new to it, actually having a plan of how you're going to use them always sort of signifies what how to grow and what you're going to grow. And there's no better project than thinking, I'll tell you what, I'm going to grow all my vegetables for Christmas Day because that gives you a whole set of vegetables that you can plan from now to buy and how you're going to grow them through the year to get them through to Christmas. And then, like you said at the start, we'll have to come up with some kind of word that... We'll we'll use smug. We'll use smug for now because you can tell your family, I grew all of these all this year. And I think that will give you a sense of achievement on Christmas Day that you just can't get if you go to the supermarket and buy everything. That concludes today's episode. We hope you enjoyed listening and look forward to you joining us again for the next instalment. Any review you'd like to leave via your podcast provider would be gratefully received. Winter is a natural time in the gardening calendar for reflection, adjustment and musing over new plans for warmer seasons ahead. So Lucy and I hope to inspire and educate with our thoughts. We'll also bring you interviews with some of the very best personalities our industry has to offer. We aim to dispel the myth that gardens, and therefore gardeners, slumber in winter. 
we promised that in this profession nothing could be further from the truth. As two enthusiastic and passionate head gardeners, winter is a busy season in our calendar. So let us help you keep one step ahead in this most marvellous and rewarding of careers. Until the next episode of Talking Heads, goodbye! Goodbye!